Come on, free man, come help a convict. You don't end up like me, do you? Mad Max Minute. We're in for the big one and watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 18, which begins with Max half-heartedly shoveling poop as he tries to get a good look at Master Blaster, and it ends with Max making a new friend. Joining us today are some of our new friends, Richard and Chieko Dunham from the Studio Ghibli Minute. Hi, Hi. thanks for having us back. Thank you. Yeah, been good having you all week, getting your insights and whatnot. (laughs) But we are now hip deep in pigs and (laughs) other stuff (laughs) as we join max down here in underworld and we get this lovely tracking shot as we go over pigs and past guards and past chained up workers and it's just it's like something out of a freddy krueger dream sequence where it's just all (laughs) loud and dark and gritty and whatnot and (laughs) Seeing this many pigs, it reminded me of the opening monologue of Babe, (laughs) which I know Julia pitches a fit every time I quote movies that I haven't seen before. (laughs) But the opening monologue of Babe goes like, this is a tale of an unprejudiced heart and how it changed our valley forever. There was a time not so long ago when pigs were afforded no respect except by other pigs. They lived their whole lives in a cruel and sunless world. In those days, pigs believed that the sooner they grew fat and large, the sooner they'd be taken to pig paradise, a place so wonderful that no pig had ever thought to come back. George Miller wrote that. Yes, he did. After making this movie. (laughs) Nice. So is this pig paradise? Uh... I certainly hope not. Yeah. <laughs> Pig paradise turns out to be human hell. <laughs> oh my gosh. Everything is, I think it might be the orange tint to everything on this set. Just everything looks hot and sticky oh, and yeah. gross. It's scenes like this that make you glad that smell vision is not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Like the very opening of this minute, we see three bald looking people like in the background seem to be swirling. Oh, yeah. Like a a waste filled bucket that's like slopping over the sides as they dig through it. Mm -hmm. And then as we track up, we see the same like the, the woman with the nun's cowl. Oh, yeah. She's got what looks like a pizza pan that she's using as a clipboard. (laughs) taking notes it's whatever you can find yeah does the job probably a good like pig shield as well yeah yeah really eventually we make our way through this throng of people and we get to see max's new friend passing in front of the camera but we don't actually get to meet him just yet because we find max and he's over by one of the furnaces and he's just shoveling up poop i'm imagining that these pigs just kind of drop their payloads where they lie and rely on the workers there to move it around but max is really just his heart's not in it (laughs) he hasn't really caught the shoveling bug as it were because he's so distracted trying to get a good look at master blaster as the camera tracks up and away from max to the catwalk system and we get to see master blaster coming down these steps and we get to see 
from behind the stairs. We see the big footfalls thudding down. And Master Blaster has something that we haven't seen since the beginning of this movie. On the end of a string, rather cruelly dangling, is Max's monkey, Sally Ann. Oh, I didn't realize it had a name. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Sally Ann is the name of the monkey actor. Oh, so okay. we just kind of held on to it. Mm. We don't really have a good track record for actually getting names for our animal actors. So when we find one, we latch on to it. Okay. Yeah, and Max doesn't have a good track record for actually naming his pets yeah. or animal companions. Yeah. Or even giving his name to other mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to imagine Jedediah steals Max's wagon, rides off. The lead camel in... Max's wagon train, by the way, was named Rodney, and he was a real SOB. He did not like working with the animal trainers. But we know what happened to Rodney and the other camels because we got to see them getting auctioned off. We didn't get to see what happened to Sally Ann once Jedediah sold everything off of the wagon. So I have to wonder if Sally Ann was kept with the wagon or if the wagon was brought to Master Blaster first to strip and sort out and Blaster just took the monkey on his own. Oh, I would expect that Sally Ann would disembark the vehicle as soon as she was really close enough to Bartertown. Like as soon as it slowed down? Yeah, because she wouldn't leave the vehicle out in the middle of the desert because she's an animal and she realizes, you know, self-preservation. Yeah. So I think she went to Bartertown, but separated from Jedediah and the camels in the vehicle as soon as was convenient for her, but then was subsequently caught by Master Blaster or a peon of Master Blasters who then turned her in, probably stealing food. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. It's probably been like uh, scurrying around, like kind of causing trouble for a couple days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to... Steal to eat, gotta eat to live. I'm sure she'll tell us all about it when she has the time. (laughs) I look forward to that children's book. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I imagine that Sally Ann could probably find in amongst Barter Town, maybe like a young street ruffian. And, you know, the two of them would pal together. And I don't know. I mean, we're going off the rails in this movie anyway. Who knows? Maybe they'd get roped into some sort of vessel retrieval mission and Sally Ann would get them into trouble by touching something she's not supposed to and then like I don't know carpets don't fly yeah maybe they'd find like a little hang glider or something (laughs) I don't know some sort of wasteland equivalent to Aladdin yeah (laughs) (laughs) well you brought up the idea of a street ruffian do you think barter town has street urchins if they're as resourceful as the feral child was back in road warrior i'm sure there are little holes and pockets where orphans can hide out yeah because they wouldn't be able to enter without something to trade we see other children enter the city later on in the movie yeah yeah there are holes in the defenses yeah and actually it was really easy for the children to enter the city So I almost feel like what's the point of the guard and the collector and the gate and all that stuff? Well, for people that legitimately want to trade, that's why the collector's there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems really easy to get around all that. Well, you don't want to... For somebody who wants to. You wouldn't bring your merch... Well, I guess it depends on what your merchandise is. If you have like gyms or something, something small that you can pocket. (gasps) Ooh. You could, you could smuggle pig poop out of Underworld to an awaiting 55-gallon drum and then take that drum 
through the collector's gate and trade it for goods. Yeah. I imagine that the collector's desk is more or less like a currency exchange table at like a casino. Like we never see tokens or anything passed over from the collector to people that come with goods, but there must be something like that. I mean, we've discussed that before on this podcast, but I imagine if you want to come into Bartertown to barter, then you probably need to go by the collector. To be legitimate. Because the people on the inside, if they want to remain safely in Barter Town, then they need to barter with only legitimate traders. Exactly. Huh. Okay. But it's... monkeys don't have much interest in trading, so Sally Ang probably just scurried over something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was a little bit confused like about how many leashes or ropes are connected to Sally Ann. I think it's just one string around her waist. But Master Blaster is holding like two things. She seems to yeah. be holding like a, a like a leather strap or something mm -hmm. in his right hand and then like a long longer rope or or thin chain in his left hand. Yeah. You think that's the same thing? Oh, no, I see what you see. Do you see what I see? <laughs> I think he does have two different... Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they want it to look like he's holding her tail. That's what I thought at in first. In his right hand, but they figured out a way to, to do it that's that wouldn't be that, that hurtful. To the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, not I, sure that we're supposed to see that that's the a strap, string yeah. that's going across to his opposite hand. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something and part of an effect that they wish we couldn't see. Hmm. Hmm. I say it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. Because it's not ethical to hold a monkey like this. I would think no. not. So yeah. the handlers wouldn't allow it. So there's got to be something else going on that makes this okay that we can't see because it seems like that you know that strap it's almost like there's like a belt or like a harness around his her yeah. hind legs mm -hmm. so maybe there's maybe there's some kind of harness or or uh, jacket or something that's giving her a little bit more support could be yeah but all the while that master blaster is walking around with sally ann max is down on the ground and he's yelling up at master blaster he's yelling hey you let's talk hey he's trying to get blaster's attention and master blaster just completely just nope. they completely ignore max <laughs> and did they even hear him seems like the lamest way <laughs> to initiate like a, a negotiation or I, I don't know i mean just yeah. in this situation it just struck me as a lame line. Hey, let's talk. Do we have hey, any talk. idea what Max's plan is here? Like, he's shouting about talking, but what does he have to talk to Master Blaster about? Like, is he going to try and make a different deal for, like, a better offer than Auntie gave him? I'm just not quite sure what he's thinking here. Well, in the novelization of the screenplay, his reaction is a little bit more emotional, which is what I wish we saw here. Yeah, you'd expect him to say, hey, that's my monkey. Yeah, like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Max gets very attached to his animal companions, and he has very special relationships with them. And then they die. Aww. That's just how Max's life is. So he doesn't want to lose this one. So in the screenplay, it's much more of an outburst. Like, hey, give me back my monkey. That mm. monkey is mine. Kind of a thing. He doesn't have a plan. So in the book, he's yelling at Master Blaster because they have Sally Ann. Yes. Okay, that's cool. And in the movie, Sally Ann is a captive. Mm -hmm. In the book, Sally Ann has like attached herself to somebody else. Oh. Like she's there voluntarily. 
Mm-hmm. Like sitting on somebody else's shoulder kind of thing. Oh. It's self-preservation. Oh, I feel betrayed. Yeah, yeah. I, I do too. It's only, it's only on the surface, though. Her heart is still with Max. Okay. okay. It's a matter of survival. Yeah. I like to think of it like she's infiltrating the enemy looking for Max. Mm. <laughs> But she figures he probably got himself in the most trouble possible. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the deepest, dirtiest, darkest place and see if we can find him there. <laughs> and she does. To go to another movie with a monkey, it's, kind of, it's like Marianne in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, if you watch this scene without sound, you just assume that he's saying, hey, that's my doing? monkey. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing? I mean, it's almost like <laughs> like uh, Mel Gibson forgot the line. It just came out. Uh, uh, let's talk. talk. <laughs> right. It's so cold. Yeah. And it, yeah. I was like, I'm sure, like, I'm sure Master Blaster responds to all invitations for conversation from the poop shovelers. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's the best way to get all... on his calendar. Yeah. <laughs> it was also in this scene where we see Max shoveling the poop that I, oh, I cringe at his hair. Oh, that man needs a ponytail yeah. holder. I was thinking He needs to of get that. it up out of his face, off of his neck. He needs like a nun's cowl or something. <laughs> yes, he does. He, he does. Or like a hairnet. Yeah, was... all, that, all that free-flowing hair, you know what's getting in it. Oh, like, yeah. I could, I could feel it on my neck. I like wanted him so badly to just put it up because I was, I was feeling it and I was getting uncomfortable. Yes. My favorite moment in this movie is where he gets a haircut. Uh, yes. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we're we're not at those minutes, but that was one of those later in the movie. It, it struck me watching it again that you know there's like foreshadows of uh, Fury Road, it's like mm-hmm. little elements mm-hmm. that, that come back, like much oh, better yeah. done. Lots of them. In, in Fury Road, yeah, that's one of them. That haircut and the the hand reaching in and stealing his hair as well. Max is in Underworld. He's shouting up at the boss like. A crazy person and one of the other workers comes up to him and this person is called pig keller and oh you know he's a new face he walks up to max and he says come on free man help a convict you don't want to end up like me do you and this guy pig keller he's got no shirt to speak of he's got this big old sprocket around his neck and yeah. it's attached to a big old chain that goes up to the ceiling poor guy yeah all of these chains give the place an especially horrific look. Mm -hmm. All these chains from the ceiling. Well, yes, I agree. They really do add to the atmosphere. But thinking about the other ways in which a manual laborer who is a captive is chained up, this doesn't seem so bad. If his legs were in irons or his hands, he wouldn't be able to move around so well. He wouldn't be able to work. But this way, yes, he's got this big thing hanging around his neck, but he's fairly free. I feel like the thing around the neck and the brand across his chest should be enough. Yeah. I feel like the chain is just insult to injury. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were just talking about how easy it is to sneak in and out of Underworld. Yeah. yeah. So I think the chain is necessary. And but, as soon as he does get out of the chain, what does he do? He sneaks out of Underworld. But the big sprocket around it, his neck, it kind of reminds me of those giant magnetic things from the movie Wild Wild West. Yeah. With the giant magnetized saw blades and you okay. get it wrapped around your neck and then you're like, oh no, I'm going to get my head cut off. Okay. 
I've never seen the movie, but I'm familiar with the concept. And you don't I agree. need to. Yeah, <laughs> you do not need to. The sense yeah. that I get. You can skip that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the song stuck in my head now, though. Oh, thank you. So is that what he says? <laughs> I couldn't figure out what he was saying. It sounded like, "Come on, free man, come over, convict." Well, yep. Come help a convict. Help you don't want to end up like me. Okay. And of course, Max, hearing that, asks how long he's in for, and Pig Killer laughs and says, the big one, life, which doesn't strike me as something people usually laugh yeah. at. Just sometimes <laughs> you have to laugh at your own misery to kind of cope with it. Just like, ah, I'm in this yeah. big mess. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he, he seems to be coping really, really well. He seems to be in genuinely good spirits. I just don't think he's all there. No. I think, I think there's something. I think he's smiling through the pain. Just like, grin and bear it. Grin and bear it, yeah. I look at Pig Killer and I'm like, there's got to be like a wire loose or something like that. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. Ugh. And I wonder how long he's been there. Yeah. Right. So when he says you don't want to end up like me, he didn't get there by trying to start a conversation with Master Blaster. So I don't no. really follow no. his logic there. I'm willing to bet that trying to converse with Master Blaster has a reputation for getting people into trouble. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely say probably a lot of people have probably been badly injured. There's another guy with Chatterbox branded on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me think maybe Pig Killer has been there for quite some time. He knows the lay of the land, mm -hmm. has seen people get into trouble for trying to talk to their superiors. Now I'm imagining like a whole menagerie of people, like a rogues gallery of people <laughs> branded with like the epithets from Seinfeld, like close talker. <laughs> <laughs> Man hands. <laughs> <laughs> Double dipper. Exactly. <laughs> Regifter. <laughs> and about the brand, you know, you think of brands today like it's a single solid object that gets heated up yeah. and then pressed into mm -hmm. whatever. Do you think they have a brand that specifically says pig killer? Or do you think they have just a set of alphabet letters and they can spell whatever they I want? I think it's a set of. <laughs> yeah, it's like a brining typeface. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. also, like, it's also, it's one by one, so it hurts more than when it's, yeah. like, all in one. Do you remember in The Empire Strikes Back where they have Han Solo and he's getting tortured in Cloud City and they kind of lower him down over to this thing and it starts sparking and heating up and whatnot? Yeah. I imagine they have something like that, but it's like a iron brand typewriter. <laughs> And so they set up the person and they press the buttons and these hot iron brands come up and they slap the people on their chest. And so you can type in pig killer. What if you misspell oh, it? Oh, God, that's um, just better. What if you're a bad typist? Well, you better not be a bad typist because then you get into the machine and someone has to type bad out typist. bad typist. You don't think it's like a, like a printing press where there's somebody who aligns the type? Like a, a brand typesetter. <laughs> they slide you in on the board and then they just lower the whole contraption. Oh, get it all at once. I imagine if it's really heinous, they would like think of a longer way to say it. Like <laughs> criminal who murders pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Poor sign murderer or something. <laughs> They're like, so there's it. definitely an element of torture to the punishment. Probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. They like spell it like in a different language because it's longer. 
Like, they never want you to forget that you killed a pig if you're stuck down here for life. Plus, it's not like you can go somewhere else. Everyone's always going to know, oh, hey, you have pig killer branded on your chest. You must have yeah, killed you've... a pig in Bartertown. So, but if you go far enough away that people don't really know about Bartertown and the whole pig thing, people are going to be like, did you kill a cop? Who cares if you killed a pig? Yeah, but what if he stumbles upon a settlement where they have a bunch of pigs that they raise? He's not going to be allowed inside because he's a branded pig killer. Or a place has a bunch. Or he could get a shirt. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, or he could like, you know how people have like a, get a, like a covering tattoo. Maybe you could just, I mean, if he was up for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, a lovely bouquet of flowers that just all across his chest. Like five or six boutonnieres all in a row. Yeah. I mean, clothing is probably kind of hard to come by. It's not like you can stop by a mad TJ Maxx or something like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> If it was anyone else editing this, that would be cut out. <laughs> that, was, that was a two-step process for me. I heard it and was like, haha, and then, oh. <laughs> so this pig killer character, he is played by a familiar face, a guy named Robert Grubb, who we saw during our hiatus as the character Billy in 1981's Gallipoli. Robert Grubb was born January 31st, 1950 in Hobart, Tasmania, Australia. He is a good old Tasmanian devil. He attended NIDA, the National Institute for Dramatic Art, where he graduated in 1978. He was attending NIDA at the same time as Mel Gibson and Steve Bisley, so he's got accomplished classmates, so to speak. He got his first role in a movie in 1979 in a movie called My Brilliant Career, where he played Frank Howden. And from My Brilliant Career, he went into Gallipoli. He eventually got into Beyond Thunderdome. And with several exceptions, Grubb is essentially a television actor. He's known very well for his role as Dr. Jeff Standish on The Flying Doctors between 1986 and 1992. And near as I can tell, the last time he was in a theatrically released movie was Paradise Road in 1997. And other than that, he's pretty much stuck to television ever since. He's currently playing the part of a senior detective on the show Neighbors. And he's not just doing television, he's also doing stage because he won Australia's Helpman Award for Best Male Actor in a supporting role in a musical for his stage portrayal of Pop in the Australian production of the Queen musical We Will Rock You. Mm -hmm. You know, the more I learn about Australian actors, the more I'm introduced to Australian TV, I realize that it's extensive and vibrant and really interesting. Well, yeah. Not yeah. everyone's going to import episodes of Happy Days. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when I was looking over his IMDb, the one thing that stuck out to me was... Uh... He was in 1983. He was in a movie called Far Lap, which uh, is a movie about a racehorse. That's the the name mm. of a racehorse. I haven't seen it, but I remember around that time uh, it being uh, talked about, especially like on uh, Siskel and Ebert's show. Is it was a movie that they called out as being something to to seek out. So I might might spur me to try to find that again. Check that out. <laughs> Yeah, Farlap looks like a much more interesting thing to seek out as opposed to the TV movie he did in 1983, The Amorous Dentist. Yeah. <laughs> that's one that, description of a dentist I would yeah. not like to mm, That sounds like something you have should, around uh, me. <laughs> that would get you branded. 
Yeah. <laughs> the amorous dentist. The amorous dentist. Close talker. Three, three tries to spell amorous, right? <laughs> Max is very curious at this whole life sentence thing because pig killer says the big one life and max fires back for just killing a pig and i feel like it makes sense that killing a pig in barter town is a big deal because pigs are kind of like the batteries of barter town and so pig killer is kind of the rocket raccoon of this movie in that Rocket Raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 stole a battery from the Sovereign, which makes Auntie like the Sovereign, who goes after Pig Killer and actually succeeds in catching him and throwing him in Underworld. Yeah. Imagine if Auntie had access to that much gold paint. I know, right? <laughs> that would have been absolutely oh my fabulous. Gosh. I just, I'm imagining what she would do and I'm amazed. <laughs> yes. I am curious. I would love to Watching see that. Watching the movie for the first time when Max is like, we're just killing a pig. I'm like, yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> Immediate understanding. It was obvious of, to you. Yeah. I was like, yeah, pigs yeah. are a big deal. Mm-hmm. And Pig Killer answers Max's inquiry by saying, I had to feed the kids. So I'm wondering, we don't know a ton about Pig Killer. So when he says, I had to feed the kids, does that mean he had a family? Has he been down here long enough that he's jolly about his situation because he doesn't care about his family anymore? Did he even have a family to begin with? Like, is this just a situation that he's invented in his head to justify his action to make it seem more noble that he's now down here? I mean, he's kind of an enigma in that regard. And the fact that he uses the phrase, I had to feed the kids, he doesn't say I had to feed my kids. Maybe okay. his family was little... killed and that's why he's a little bit loopy. Ooh, that's Ooh, dark and That sad. it drove him yeah. mad that his family was killed? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, that makes sense. It would drive me mad. Because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I makes, sacrificed you know that for that nothing. That answers a question I have about the end of the movie. He flies off into the sunset with the group and leaves his family behind. And I've always been kind of uncomfortable with that. Mm -hmm. But if his family has been long dead and he's been suffering that trauma, which has been steadily loosening his screws to the point where he stole a pig and set in motion those events in his life that he doesn't actually have a family to go back to makes me a lot more comfortable with his presence at the end of the movie yeah yeah i'm definitely firmly in the camp that he does not have an actual wife or actual children that he's the kind of person that i don't know maybe he likes to hang out with a pack of dingoes and he considers them his children. And because they're running around trying to hunt for food, he would steal a pig to feed his dog kids. Kind of an Amoris Peros right. kind of situation. Mm. Yeah. It did occur to me for a moment a theory that is very unsupported that he may already know about the waiting ones. That those are the kids he's talking about. I, Ooh, I which like is that. incredibly that unsupportive. Second, and I Yeah, but it occurred to me. It occurred to me, but I I don't know. I shot that down in my head. Yeah. Me too. I the kids don't mention yeah. ever having contact before Max with another adult. Mm-hmm. So I don't think so. Do you think Pig Killer could be one of the adults that <gasps> wandered away from the crack in the earth? Okay, That's, I can go with that. I though. also thought of that. No. He does with his shadowed eyes. He does look like the the skull kid. Yeah, whoever that kid him. is, who's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. the 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 proto war boy. <laughs> 
Yeah. Because wandering that far into the desert and getting lost, he probably just got his brain fried. And so when he stumbled upon Barter Town, he found Underworld, probably through the same pipe that the kids later on in the movie stumble through, tried to steal a pig or killed a pig or something trying to get it out so that he could bring it back to the crack in the earth, which is why when we're done messing around outside Underworld and we finally get back to it, when Pig Killer sees one of the waiting ones, like he points and laughs. Yeah, yeah so he does. Do you- oh, okay. I want to keep this theory in mind as we move through the rest of the movie because I kind of like it. Yeah, the whole amount and number of people and the timeline involved of those people leaving, it's it's very unclear. Mm -hmm. Right. It's vague enough that we can make it into whatever we need to to fit this theory. Because when you have a statement like, I had to feed the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot. Mm. Yeah, it sounds deliberately ambiguous. So you said he tried to kill a pig. Do you think he was only like an attempted pig killer? I think he killed a pig. You think he... I'm willing to bet he succeeded in killing a pig. Yeah. Although... So he got one of these pigs? Like he got it out of Underworld? He might have killed it on the spot. I imagine if you're trying to feed Mm. someone with a pig... You'd want to take it alive. Yeah. Yeah. Unless he killed it in the act of trying to steal it. Like he was trying to wrap it up in a baby Bjorn to throw it on his back and he like... dropped it a certain way and it like died from the fall or it was starting to squeal and he was trying to quiet it and he kind of a lenny from mice and men situation yeah oh that's rough yeah (laughs) yeah i have a question about pigs okay i have a lot of questions (laughs) about pigs so i asked last episode if pig meat if pork and bacon and whatnot were plentiful not plentiful if they were available in barter town for consuming we kind of said no do you think they're available rewind do you think it's available for people like auntie to eat do you think she eats pork I think the pigs in Underworld are cannibals, that they are fed the pigs that die in Underworld. Are used as food? Yeah, for the pigs, yeah. Mm, But, okay, I'm willing to go with that for the stuff that's not, like, good premium meat, the leftovers. I'm I'm okay with that if there are leftovers, but if it's just in general... Like, the pigs that die are fed back to the pigs. I have to disagree. Although, if a pig that dies isn't discovered pretty quickly, the pigs will just eat the dead pig. Yeah. Pigs will eat anything. So maybe they just Scary anything. So, yeah. So what are these pigs dying from, and would you want to eat that? They seem Uh, pretty well taken care of, so probably age. Well, with that many pigs... Bad heart. I can imagine them getting injured. Oh, and dying because they can no longer keep themselves safe. Like, they hurt their leg. Well, now they can't walk and they get trampled yeah. to death mm. and then eaten. Did Pig Killer step on a pig too hard? <laughs> 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 and I'm sure there's plenty of pigs who die of old age. Yeah. But I'll bet those pigs are easier to pick out because if you work there every day, you know which are the old pigs, which are the young pigs, probably have named all the pigs. So they might be separated out at a certain point. So Pig Killer was a free man working down there. He tried to start a conversation with Master Blaster. (laughs) Master Blaster knocked him away. He fell on a pig. He killed it. And that's how he got his life sentence in the sprocket. And he's been there so long that he thinks it's for his family. (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that tracks. I feel like that <laughs> is just as valid of an idea as him and being one like, of the adults that see, left the crack in the earth. He sees Max yeah. going down the same road. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa you don't want to end up like you me. Do not. 
I mean, if you're down there for life, according to the pig killer, it's not, not anything to worry about because life is two, three years max. Okay, what exactly is killing people that quickly? I'm the guessing <laughs> either <laughs> dangerous work conditions or air quality. I bet it's humid and that must suck. Yes. It's not the heat, it's you remember, the humidity that I kills you. And my bit is like both of them. <laughs> When the crew was working with this many animals, they had to wear clean suits and constantly wash things. I'm willing to bet if you're down there unprotected working with the pigs day in and day out for years and years and years, you're probably going to pick up something yeah. like yeah. a virus or bacteria. Yeah. Probably die of disease. Swine flu. Yeah. Exactly. And with no medical care, you just die right there and the pigs eat you. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. That's your retirement plan right there. Hey, pigs are really scary. Yeah. They are. I've seen plenty of pigs at like the state fair kind of thing. Where they're like show pigs and prize pigs. And then my aunt and uncle had a bit of a farm and they got a pig. And it was out of sight of the house. And I walked down to the pen to go see it. That thing, I could see in its eyes, it wanted to eat me. <laughs> oh my God. It was huge and it was angry. And there was only a very skinny looking electric fence between me and this monster <laughs> that wanted to eat me. Well, there is a very good reason why it was such a big deal when Dorothy Gale fell into the pig pen at the beginning of Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. It's because those pigs can be vicious. Yeah. I didn't realize that pigs would eat people until I was reading a fictional, like, sci-fi story thing where someone got eaten by a pig. They were injured, and they were supposed to be looked after by able-bodied people, and the able-bodied people wandered away and left the injured person defenseless, and the pigs ate them. I didn't realize that until yeah. I read that. Well, there's a whole subgenre of horror movie made mostly by Australian filmmakers about giant pigs, specifically like wild boar. Yeah. And stuff like that. And it's essentially like a land-based shark jaws movie. Mm-hmm. Because these things can get so big and so violent and so vicious. I mean, for anyone who watches Game of Thrones. Yeah. That's where <laughs> yeah, I was exactly. going to. Robert Baratheon was gored by a boar. I mean. Like, completely opened up. <laughs> I just keep thinking of Princess Mononoke and the, oh, the yeah. big boar. Oh, yeah. The, the boars in that movie are nothing to take lightly either yeah you do not want to mess with them and that's without all the demonic infection yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so speaking of dangerous environment the, the very I mean, we go back to the very beginning of this minute there's like this canister being lowered oh yeah from the platform yeah 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 i just wonder mm -hmm. that that, Is that it made, reminds me of like the all the different ways that rick was talking about processing methane on uh, Monday's episode. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that tank is probably filled with methane that they've pressurized in there so that it can be moved up to the barter town and installed in one of the vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're uh, lowering it down for somebody to like fill up again from one of yeah. the other. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they have a reserve of just stored tanks of methane? Oh, that yeah. would make sense yeah, to probably. me. Oh, yeah. That would be smart. Yeah. Anything that you use. To survive, you should have a reserve of. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're using multiple methods to convert methane to electricity. I would do this. I don't know. If you have that much supply, use it in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Keep trying to innovate and improve. 
Yeah. Plus, if you can get methane one way and then kind of double dip getting it another way, you might as well use yeah. multiple methods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like take the waste product from one method. Mm-hmm. And use another method on it, get some more out of it, maybe. Yeah. It's like when we were talking about fuel refining back during Road Warrior, this idea that you can take gasoline from different densities in the distilling tower and get different products out of it. Yes. And you would use this type of product in this application and this type of product in that application. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that idea. It suggests a sophistication to the process and to the society that I like. (laughs) It's very cool. Speaking of cool, we are more or less at the end of this minute. Pig Killer and Max start walking off a bit and we wrap up our minutes for this week. Richard and Chieko, why don't you guys tell us a little bit more about the Studio Ghibli Minute, what you guys have coming up. Yeah, you can find us at uh, GibliMinute.com or on your favorite podcatcher. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're mm-hmm. on TuneIn. I can't remember if we're on Stitcher or not. I have to check. But yeah, <laughs> so we're doing all of the Studio Ghibli movies one minute at a time. Minute by minute. Or minute by minute is another way to say that. We... Uh, Started with the movie that kind of gave birth to Studio Ghibli, The Genosica of the Valley of the Wind. You guys were gracious enough to help us out with our analysis of that. And we are currently in the middle of Castle in the Sky. Uh, so you can find us, like I said, on GibliMinutes.com, your favorite podcaster, or go to MoviesByMinutes.com. where You can find a link not only to us, but also to... Mad Max Minute and a bunch of other great podcasts. Neither Julia nor I had ever seen Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind before going on to Studio Ghibli Minute, and we really enjoyed it. Oh my gosh, yes. I loved that movie. <laughs> and we ended up going back to watch Castle in the Sky a little bit afterwards when we heard that that was the next one that you guys had in the rotation. And I must say, my favorite part of that movie has to be, now I know that you two watched the Japanese with the subtitles or whatever, yeah. Yeah. but we watched <laughs> the American dubs. Mark Hamill is and the main villain, right? Am yes. I... Yeah. 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 Mark Hamill was great. Cloris Leachman as the airship captain lady was probably my favorite part of that movie. (laughs) She was amazing. That family, they were just delightful. Cool. Yeah. So I'm very much looking forward to keeping up with that and listening to that analysis. Switching gears a little bit, since we're at the end of the week, we've still got the Anarchy Road podcast running for people who are patrons of our Patreon page because I haven't said enough words that start with P just now. At the $3 level, you get access to that. And this week, we are talking about Peter receiving a menacing note from a certain captain. Phil Collins shows up and demonstrates why he really should stick to music. And Granny Wendy drops a bomb in Peter's lap that will just alter every aspect of who he thinks he is. So that'll be fun. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. Like us on Facebook by searching 
searching for Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com where you can check out our Public storefront by clicking the store link, join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link. Thank you for joining us for Minute 18 of Beyond Thunderdome. See you next time. Oh!